Hello, Nightmare fans. I'm John, a new narrator of Nightmare Hours. Hope you enjoy tonight's show. Do write below if you love my style and flow of narration. Thank you. My father had always been drawn to the great outdoors. Growing up, he would often accompany my grandfather on their expeditions, exploring various places with a sense of curiosity that seemed to run in the family. It was no surprise that my father eventually became a park ranger, immersing himself in the beauty of nature and creating countless memories for our family. There was a particular holiday season when the National Park welcomed an influx of tourists seeking adventure. Some were simply looking for a fun experience, while others were engaged in field research. Among them was a team of five researchers, a group that stood out with their intelligence and sanity, surpassing even the most educated of visitors. Late one night, my father received a distress signal on his walkie-talkie from one of his fellow researchers. Equipped with his trusty rifle, he embarked on a mission to investigate. As the terrain became impassable for his jeep, they continued on foot, deciding to split up and search in two different directions to cover more ground. To ensure their safety and avoid getting lost, they tied ribbons along their respective paths yellow for my father and blue for one of his partners. As my father ventured deeper into the woods, he found no trace of the rest of the group. Attempting to contact his partner through the walkie-talkie proved futile. There was no response. Undeterred, he pressed on, tying ribbons along the way. However, he began to notice something peculiar. He kept encountering yellow ribbons tied to trees, suggesting that he might have taken a different route than he intended. After a brief rest under a tree, he examined one of the ribbons more closely and realized it wasn't the same ribbon he had tied earlier. These ribbons appeared weathered and worn, and unlike his single knot, these were double-knotted. This raised a sense of unease within him. The area they were in was restricted, reserved for important personnel only. Who could have journeyed this far and tied these yellow ribbons? Determined to unravel the mystery, my father decided to follow these unfamiliar markers, hoping they would lead him to the correct ones. As he retraced his steps, he heard faint sounds and noticed flickering lights emanating from a certain direction. Curiosity got the better of him, and he cautiously approached the source of the commotion. To his horror, he stumbled upon a group of researchers wearing bizarre attire engaged in a macabre dance around a central fire. Four individuals were present, but one was conspicuously missing. Hidden behind a tree, my father observed as two members of the group emerged from the woods, carrying a large wooden branch with a man bound to it. The man's hands and legs were tightly secured, and it was evident that he had met a grim fate he had been prepared for some horrific ritual cooked alive. Shaken by what he had witnessed, my father attempted to contact his partner for assistance, yet no response came. Realizing the danger he was in, he decided to make his escape. 
As he turned to flee, he sensed a lingering presence, something lurking in the shadows. These cannibalistic murderers were still pursuing him. In a desperate attempt to divert their attention, my father climbed up a tree, silently praying that they would leave. From his vantage point, he observed their ghastly appearance emaciated, white-skinned creatures resembling humans, but with grotesque features. Their hollowed-out eyes and elongated fangs sent chills down his spine. Finally, they dispersed, unaware of his hidden perch. Carefully descending the tree, my father cautiously scanned his surroundings, ensuring the creatures were gone. Exhausted and drained, he began to lose consciousness. It was then that he realized he had been poisoned, some unknown substance seeping into his skin. Collapsing onto the forest floor, his next recollection was waking up in a hospital bed. When my father recounted the harrowing incident to senior officials, they dismissed his claims and denied any clearance he had held. It wasn't long after that he was stripped of his position as a park ranger, stripped of everything he had worked for in his career. Subsequently, he received multiple death threats, a grim reminder of the sensitive information he possessed, and the things he had seen that fateful day an ominous secret that could never be allowed to reach the public. When in the RAF I was based at Scampton, this was the base where the Dambusters raid was launched from and a bomber command airfield during the war. I was on guard duty one night and had a phone call around 2 a.m. about noises coming from one of the hangars. Sent a guard to investigate, he radios back and says he can hear voices mumbling and what sounds like machinery operating and tools clanging, etc. I got out the keys to the hangar, and on driving up sure enough, there were such noises going on and the occasional flickering light. We called in the RAF police dogs, but the land shark refused to go in. This highly trained attack dog lay down, whimpered, and refused to listen to its handler. I went in with the guard and the RAF policeman and can only describe the feeling on entering the hangar floor as being surrounded in a cold fog that you couldn't see and a real feeling of dread. There was a real feeling of unhappiness in the place. I have never felt like that since, nor do I ever want to. We hightailed it out as it was secure, and there was clearly no one there. Found out about a year or so later, when speaking to some visiting bomber command veterans, that it was a hangar used in the war for battle repairs on the damaged aircraft, and sometimes were aircraft which had crew members killed in them, and sometimes it took some time to either extract their bodies or gather up the bits, would be taken to be cleaned. I have been back to Scampton since, but I give that hangar a very wide berth. I grew up on an Indian reservation here in Oklahoma. I am Cherokee Indian. Our home was by a massive cave system and in the middle of two hills. There is a cave on the property that everyone on the reservation knows Sasquatch exists. It is common knowledge where we come from. We would know their moods just by the sounds he made. 
When he was upset, you would know it because his anger would be heard throughout the whole reservation. People talked about it in casual conversation. For instance, did you hear Sasquatch upset last night, etc. My grandparents told me not to fear him because they had a pact with him and he would not harm us. All was good until more Sasquatch came. These were evil ones, not the same as the Sasquatch that had always been there. He had been run off from the territory, we believe. I had to walk down a long dirt road to get to my school bus. They would chase me up in the woods, whooping and throwing rocks at me. I was terrified and I got a feeling they wanted to hurt me. It kept getting worse. I refused to even walk to school after that. At night, when my cousins would come over, we would all play outside in the front yard. These new Sasquatch would gather around in the hills with their glowing red eyes and watch us. I know if our parents would have not been out there, they would have taken us and harmed us. I could feel it. I could sense their body and their bad intentions. I told my family that they were bad. My uncle did not listen. He went for a walk alone to the water, which was like a mile and a half from his house. He was drowned in knee-deep water and was an avid swimmer. No wounds, just a mysterious death. But I knew they killed him. He was the first of many unknown mysterious deaths that started to occur by the water. In that area, the person was always alone. It was always a mystery. I'm glad I stuck with my gut feelings because they were getting more aggressive every day that I walked to school. I believe my instincts saved my life. To this day, they are still killing people in the area. The person is always alone and the death is always a mystery. But I know and so do the other people on the reservation. Always follow your instincts. I'll send you more stories at a later date. Thank you for reading. Back to Creepy. This was out by a campground of several natural springs. A friend and I same buddy from before decided to strike out and go explore some very dilapidated and ancient looking farm structures we'd seen earlier in the day. We decided to go at night because F being sane, right? It was a small cluster of buildings far off next to some woods. We hiked through the brush to get there, but there was also a really torn up, weed-choked dirt road that led to it. The buildings were completely decrepit and looked like they were going to collapse if we breathed too hard. We went to the biggest barn-like building and immediately began to smell death. As we got to the interior, we noticed some really unnerving things. First, despite the fact that these buildings no longer had any functional purpose, it was clear that people still went out there. There were fresh footprints that did not belong to us. Second, there seemed to be blood spattered all over the place. Third, there were pieces of wood that had been sharpened into crude, short stakes that were absolutely drenched in blood. Fourth, there were scattered clumps of what looked to me at least to be human hair. Lastly, it looked like someone had used the blood-stained stakes to try and scrawl something on a couple walls and on a load-bearing post in the center of the building. I couldn't make it out probably better that way. 
So yeah, we decide to GTFO immediately. We decide to leave via a slightly different route because we were ultra paranoid that someone was watching and would follow us back to camp. As we made our way back, we hit a truly putrid wall of that death stench again. We found the source. It was the rear half of a calf. Just the rear half. The front half was absolutely nowhere in sight. The worst thing about it, though, is that this animal was cut clean in half. It did not look like an animal attack at all. No other wounds, just perfectly snipped in half. We made it back to camp and left the next morning. I was 1617 around 2009, with a group of friends, eight of us, maybe walking down my block in Forest Park, Illinois, heading towards one of my friend's house. It was summer, around 9 p.m. The sun was already set. Once we made it to the end of my block at an intersection, perched atop of 20 feet streetlight was a figure. Humanoid, definitely, but with wings standing relatively still. I and all of my friends saw it. Started out it for maybe a few seconds, all muttering WTF. After those seconds of collective confusion, the thing spread its wings fully. I don't think either of us saw it fly off or anything because the moment it did that, we all took off running. Half of us one way and the other half another. Guessing neither of us has ever run that fast in our lives. I eventually made it to the friend's house we were originally intending to get to. Obviously, we were freaked out. Asking each other WTF did we just see. Honestly really not talking about it too much after the situation. I'm 29 now. None of those friends that I still keep in contact with remember seeing red eyes. But everything else was the same as how the Mothman is described. At this time neither of us had even heard of the Mothman or even that there has been a sighting in the Chicago area. But I, without a doubt, know what I saw was real, because the group saw the exact same thing at the exact same moment. If I was by myself, I don't know if I would have believed it. Honestly, we were out of there so fast that I couldn't pick up much of the vibes that it gave off. All I know is that wasn't an owl, a crane, or a drone. It kind of reminded me of the creature from the Jeepers Creepers film, if you know of that movie. I'm in the Marine Corps, not spooky in a supernatural way, but in a I can't believe they're just going to let this slide way. One of the guys in my old unit was a quiet, keep to himself kind of guy, nice person, but of course he got messed with. After a while he had enough of it and explained to one of my friends that he had a stabbing list and you're the first one on it. He reports the incident, they file paperwork to process him out of the Marine Corps. After six months they just let it go. So there's a guy still on active duty with a clear mental issue and I'm just kinda waiting to see him snap. Edit. I've never personally F with any of my marines from the time I joined until now as I said, this was a friend doing this. I remember what it was like having some asshole mess with me when I was a boot just for that reason. 
I pride myself on treating everyone I came in contact with with respect. I've seen how people think by picking up rank. They're no longer required to work and automatically think they're special. I've made it a point to work side by side my marines instead of kicking back and supervising. I've stood up for myself and others numerous times when our worthless chain of command tried to push everyone, assuming they'll just take it and never speak for themselves knowing damn well their actions aren't justified. As I've said, many military members will always F with the new guy. I don't necessarily agree with it because the only thing accomplished by that is having co-workers who have no respect for you. I can't control what others do, but I guarantee any of the marines that worked with me will tell you good things because I worked right by their side and had them call me by name and not rank. Since I don't think most military norms actually work. About a decade ago, I went looking for deer sheds in a new place here in Northeast Oregon. I had a pretty good day and picked up a few buckhorns. As a chronic sufferer from nextrogitis, I was still a few miles from my truck as it was getting dark. I had stupidly left my headlight in the truck, so I knew it was going to be a long evening fumbling in the snow and deadfall timber. Right at dark, I heard a wolf howl in the bottom of the canyon, maybe three-quarter mile directly downhill big country. I thought to myself, well, that's pretty cool, then heard another respond a few hundred yards closer. I was really enjoying the experience until another responded 100 yard behind me in the pitch black timber with a much deeper, gut-wrenching howl. After a moment of silence, the surrounding area ignited with howls in every which direction. No longer really enjoying the experience, I unstrapped a 4PT shed to protect myself and began the trek towards my truck which was right in line with the source of the deep, commanding howl. So off I go and the pitch black timber in a remote area I had never been before with nothing but a 60FT shed to protect myself. Meanwhile the wolves were communicating back and forth until the Alpha would howl and shut them up momentarily with the eeriest howl you can imagine. This continues as I make my way through the woods, however every time the Alpha would howl, it was still 100 yards behind me. After this happens a few times, I get a solid idea of what is taking place it's following me. All I can do is keep hiking. After a while, I make it back to a trail and scoot pretty quickly back to my truck. Upon reviewing Google Earth later that night and identifying landmarks, I determined that the wolf stayed right behind me for two half miles as I fumbled my way in a V-shaped line back to my truck. The next day and subsequent weekends, I went back properly armed and counted at least ten wolves in that pack and was able to identify the alpha based on his howl, a big old gray colored one. I've had cats creep up on me at night had my share of supernatural experiences none backcountry related, thankfully, but nothing will make a guy feel more vulnerable than walking through the pitch black woods, without a headlight, without a sidearm, not really knowing where he's going pre on X or GPS for me, and being followed by the alpha wolf. 
Needless to say, I now always carry a headlight, batteries, and some form of protection on me at all times. I go camping now and then, and there's really nice lake out in the woods about three, four hours walk east of Oslo, Norway. It's a popularish camping spot. So a friend and I are running out of firewood and it's pitch black. Bad planning plus whiskey drunk, so we grab our flashlights and head out to get some more bits and pieces to keep the fire going. Now the lake is large and dotted around the lake, we can see about three, four fires going. Other happy campers. One campsite in particular is rowdy. It's a good 200 meters across the lake, but we can hear them chanting and singing football songs and generally be obnoxious. It's about 2 a.m. now and we want to sleep. I can do this weird thing with my voice. I let all the air out of my lungs and then breathe in really fast and tighten my voice box. I can create this ungodly, banshee, inhuman scream that is loud and does not sound human. So I go for it. Within a second, the noise from other campsites stop and the fires are doused within 10 seconds. You could hear a pin drop all across the lake. Silence. Sheer terrified silence. Even my campmate was freaked out. He'd never heard me do it before. I'm from Victoria, Australia and an avid hiker and camper. I feel most at home in the bush and in the mountains with my boys practicing bushcraft and survival. It's the best form of therapy. I have a deep respect for nature and believe we are not being told and taught what is really out there. My story goes back to the year 1998 when I was 18 at the time in Gippsland, Victoria. This was dairy country with beautiful rolling green hills. This night I and my friend had gone to the town of Mo to spend some time at a nightclub. The club closed around 2 a.m., so we decided to head back to my hometown of Yerrigan, which is only about a 25-minute drive. As we got on the Princess Freeway to head back to home, the fog really set in. It was very thick. We had music playing and talking away about our night out, driving very slowly. Just before getting to the town of Trafalgar, there is the Trafalgar Cemetery which is just outside of the town on the left side of the highway. As we came along the road and to a slight bend which was to the left, all of a sudden something jumped into the middle of the road. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. This thing was huge and I mean big. I've never seen anything like this in my life. We have no animals this big in Australia, so I've thought until this night. My friend Adam was driving. He slammed on his brakes. This creature was on all fours, but it wasn't. It was hard to describe. It just stopped and stared at us, and this thing is only 25 to 30 feet away from us, in the open and heavy fog. It was covered in hair, longer on the forearms and the legs, gray to black, silvery in the headlights. The eyes were glowing red and big. The hands, feet, and arms were massive and very long, thick, and muscular. It just sat there in a squat position. The head and face resembled a wolf, but the snout was shorter and more pushed in. 
The height of this thing to its head had to be at least five to six feet off the ground, and this thing is squatting, so try to picture this thing if it stood up. The shoulders had to have been three to four feet wide. It felt like a good minute of looking at each other, but it was probably closer to 10 to 15 seconds. My face was up against the windshield trying to figure out what I'm looking at. My friend Adam burst into tears instantly from fear. Being cold outside, you can see this thing taking massive inhales and exhales, and the chest moving in and out. It moved in a way like it didn't know whether to attack or flee. It was terrifying to look at. Then, all of a sudden, its body shifted to its left, and the amount of power it generated to leap itself off was the most impressive thing I have ever seen. For such a massive animal to spring itself off and bang it was gone in one bound. This is on a three-lane highway. It was in the middle. It cleared the road in one leap. I don't know how long, but it felt like a long time in silence without him crying. A part of me didn't want it to leave. This hasn't stopped me from going into the wild remote bush solo. Not my story, but a colleague's of mine. My colleague was responding to a call to check up on a camper. When he had pulled up, he noticed all the lights were out, which was strange considering the call was only made a few moments prior. When this ranger approached the tent, there was nothing, not a sound. It was as if everybody in the campsite had completely disappeared, leaving only him by himself. He was puzzled and not sure why somebody would make the call of this campsite and then be completely deserted. Then he described what he could hear as a weird growling noise with kind of a chewing sound. He shines his light over in the direction of this noise and sees this tiny three-foot-tall furry humanoid thing standing there that reminded him of a chimpanzee. He was completely startled and nearly falling backwards on his behind. This thing also had a very surprised expression on its face. Not really sure what to do, it quickly ran off, scurrying between the branches and the trees and going at about 30 miles an hour. My colleague claims that it looked partly human, a brow ridge and a nose very much like a human does, but the rest of the face was almost covered in hair and reminded him very much of an ape. Besides the nose and the brow ridge, the eyes were also all black too, and it did not appear to be violent or aggressive in any way. As it turns out, the campers at this campsite were being harassed by this tiny little humanoid ape thing, which is the reason why they left soon after they made the call. Apparently, this thing was trying to get into one of their tents in which they were scared and got in their car and deserted their camp. After speaking to a few friends of mine who are heavily into cryptozoology, they all believe that a juvenile Sasquatch was responsible. Under the chilling midnight sky, my friend Dell and I drove along a desolate road, enveloped in an eerie silence. Unbeknownst to us, a life-altering encounter awaited. As our eyes scanned the darkness, a graceful four-point deer emerged, captivating our attention with its beauty. 
Little did we know, this sighting was merely a prelude to something far more extraordinary. On the left, the deer vanished into the shadows, diverting our gaze to the right. Dim moonlight revealed a figure that sent shivers down our spines, a towering bipedal dogman. Its immense size filled us with a primal fear that transcended the limits of our understanding. Traversing the road, the creature's passage stirred the thick line of trees, setting them in motion. We stood transfixed, unable to avert our eyes from this mysterious being that defied explanation. It possessed an allure that was both enchanting and terrifying, hinting at an existence beyond our grasp. In that fleeting moment, a sense of otherworldliness saturated the air. The dogman's powerful stride seemed to bridge the gap between our reality and the unknown. Its presence invoked a mixture of awe and fear, captivating our senses with its enigmatic nature. Despite our yearning for clarity, the darkness concealed the creature's details. Yet, even in the absence of certainty, we recognized that we had borne witness to something extraordinary, a being that transcended the boundaries of our everyday existence. As the dogman dissolved into the night, our minds teemed with unanswered questions. Who was it? Where did it come from? This encounter ignited a fervent curiosity within us, driving us to explore the hidden enigmas lurking in the shadows. Since that bewitching moment, the memory of our encounter has etched itself permanently in our minds. The indelible mark left by the bipedal dogman serves as a reminder that our world is brimming with mysteries beyond the limits of our perception awaiting discovery. I was on our property in the Mount Hood National Forest in western Oregon. I was making a new access road for equipment to get through and had been cutting with my chainsaw for some time when I decided to take a break. I pulled my earplugs out which I normally leave in my ears. I sat there inspecting my work. Suddenly, something started crunching through the thick brush from down over the hillside in my direction straight at me. At first, I thought it was an elk but the equipment noise should have kept the area clear of most animals, and I could tell it was cumbersome and lumbered along on two feet. I started straining my eyes to see what was coming through the thicket as it approached and got closer with every step. Finally, by the sound, I knew I should be seeing it because it wasn't more than fifty feet in the brush, but I couldn't make out any dark forms at all. It was November and all the leaves were gone off the trees and plants, so I had visibility of 200 feet. Suddenly, it came to a stop. It all went silent, extremely silent. There were no typical forest noises of any kind. I could feel that I was being watched, but why couldn't I see it? Anyway, I got tired of whatever it was playing games. I put my earplugs back in fired up my saw and went back to work, keeping my eyes down low just in case it let itself be seen. I knew it was watching me, but I wasn't going to give it the satisfaction of freaking me out. I trust the Lord to keep me safe, and that thing knew it. I didn't have anything else happen that day. 
But when I returned the next morning, something had taken all the brush I had stacked in piles along the new road and scattered it back in my way. Again, upon noticing this, I was peering through the woods around me with my senses on edge. When my two dogs came out to visit me, they quietly walked up behind me and stepped on some branches breaking them. I about jumped into the next county. I went back to work restacking the brush and nothing more happened. About six months later though, I was in an area not far from there where I had been cutting all day, trying to get a section out of an old growth fir log for carving. It was getting close to dusk, and I had my old Chevy pickup parked not far from me, about 40 feet away. I was preoccupied with what I was doing at the moment. But as I let my saw start a new cut down through the five-foot log, I glanced over at my truck, and there standing alongside it, between me and the car, was a massive being, all black or dark brown and staring at me. I cursed under my breath because I really wasn't looking for a visit now. My truck is hot blue, so this thing stood out really well against it. That rig is on 35-inch tires, a 6-inch lift with the top of the cab being about 7 feet tall, and this thing's head was quickly a foot taller than the truck. I didn't stare at it or want to make a lot of eye contact with it, but I noticed it was about four feet wide at the shoulders, and its arms hung down to its knees. It was very hairy and very solid. I'm no judge, but I'm assuming it had to have been at least 600 pounds if not more. The second I saw this thing standing there a cold shiver ran down me, but I didn't want it to think I saw it so I turned back to focus on my cutting. I didn't want to look back or head over to see if it was still there. It was now it was about ten feet closer to me, and standing more to my left near the hood of my truck. I could feel my heart pounding and I was getting a cold sweat too, but I went back to focusing on my work. I didn't look back for several minutes, knowing that things could show up next to me or behind me without warning. I find the best thing to do is focus on what I'm doing and not look around and don't get let my imagination run away with me. It's easy to do out there in the dark with those Bigfoot being curious and coming around. I looked back up after five minutes and it was gone, thank God. But I'm sure it was standing in the dark there somewhere and I wasn't about to look around for it. I finished my work there, packed my tools, and headed to the house without anything more occurring. The next day I went back, but after that I tried to get back before dusk. I had previously thought that they were kind of shy, but not after what I've seen. They're curious and will show up even if equipment or machinery is running. One summer, several years ago, I was spending an evening with a friend over in Washington at a rock pit we used to camp at quite a bit. Over a decade ago, she had her own encounters with the Bigfoot in which one walked up to her and her brother in the forest on Mount Hood. They were armed with AR-15s but were both frozen in fear. It got within five feet of them and just locked eyes with her. It was a nine to ten foot male and watched her intently for about a minute before turning its head and disappearing into the trees. They literally looked and looked for it, but it had vanished. This encounter happened in broad daylight. 
Anyway, they are amazing creatures. So this happened three years ago when I was living with my parents in Medici, Wyoming. Super small and secluded. It was Halloween and my parents decorated the house, and we expected about three, four kids to show up as the house is about a mile from a subdivision and parents usually drive their kids. At eight, I took in the chair with candy because I figured no one else would be coming around. I'm in the basement where there are no windows and very little sound can get out, and it's about 11. All the lights upstairs are shut off because I'm going to bed. I hear a knock at the side door which no one ever knocks at. I go upstairs and the floodlight which usually turns on automatically wasn't on. So I flipped on the other light that lights up the basketball hoop area. There's a person in one of those old man masks that have the crazy hair just standing there. He is just looking at the house. He sprints to the back where the patio is. I hear loud banging on the back windows. Honestly, the loudest kicking I've ever heard. I rush over and the person is just staring. Then he runs away and I do tea here anything for five minutes or so. Then I start hearing the knob to the main door being forcefully jiggled back and forth. I ran upstairs to the bedroom and went to the crawl space in the attic. I immediately dialed 911. This was the first time I ever dialed 911 so I don't know what I was expecting, but the operator didn't seem to be very shocked or wanting to send out a car very quickly. I remember repeating my address like 12 times and the lady kept saying, Calm down, sir. She wants me to stay on the line, but I'm afraid if the guy got in he would know where I was because of my voice. I hang up and I can hear the knob being slammed like he had a hammer or something. I'm having a full-on panic attack and I'm wheezing trying to get air. Then I hear the side door original door being kicked super hard. At this point I'm shaking so bad the dust from the floorboards is flying up in the air. I hear a window smash and I immediately know he's going to get in. I hold my breath which makes the wheezing worse. I'm going to die. I'm listening to hear footsteps or anything. Nothing. The actual amount of time I spent up there was around 16 minutes. I swear it was an hour. An officer showed up and pounded on the door. I ran downstairs and flipped open the door. I told him everything as well as the backup sheriffs that got there. They all kept saying a friend was probably just trying to scare me. I had no friends in Wyoming. None. They looked around the house and wrote down some shit, but nothing really happened. They left and I drove behind them to Cody, Wyoming and got a hotel room. I still can't sleep without all the lights on and a .45 on my dresser.